Well, I hope that you had a great Thanksgiving, however you celebrated Thanksgiving. Some of you maybe hope to never have to celebrate Thanksgiving like you did this year. Others of you, it felt more like business as normal. Uh, Have you ever heard the phrase, needs no introduction? Needs no introduction. Uh, A couple months ago, a docu-series came out called The Last Dance. No, it's not about a high school senior prom uh, where they have their last dance. No, it's about Michael Jordan and his journey in his basketball career, really focusing in uh, on the 90s as well when they won their six championships. I just loved that series. And I know right now a lot of you are like, what are you talking about? I don't really care about Michael Jordan. But when I think about Michael Jordan, I think about someone who needs no introduction. You don't have to like sports or have ever had to see him play to know at least who he is. Uh, Michael Jordan needs no introduction. We're going to be looking at two miracles as we journey through the book of John, starting in chapter 6 this week in our series, Come and See. And we're looking at two miracles that need no introduction. If we grew up in the church, we heard these miracles. These are some of the first miracles and stories of Jesus that we tell Children. In fact, if you came to Christ later in your faith, you probably read these miracles uh, in the early years of being a Christian and just going, what? That's crazy. And even if you've never been, uh, never opened the Bible, or maybe you aren't a Christian, you call yourself something else, whatever it is, um, you've heard the phrase, well, they can walk on water. And where do you think that came from? It came from Jesus walking on water. And these are the two miracles we're going to look at. One, some would call the greatest miracle, Jesus feeding the 5,000. By the way, recorded in all four Gospels, one of the only miracles. In fact, the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. And then secondly, Jesus walking on water. That's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and and John, which were in. So as we think about Jesus feeding the 5,000, it's such a great story. Jesus on the hillside, mountainside with his disciples. A crowd comes. Jesus starts doing what he does best. He heals them. He's teaching them. And he's doing it for so many people. And so many more people are coming. The book of Matthew tells us that uh, you know, 5,000 was just counting the men. So it was actually even more than that. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, it's kind of late in the day. These people are hungry. What are we going to do? The disciples are all like, let's send them back into town. They can get food there. And Jesus is like, ah, wrong answer. Figure something else out. The disciples are like, what? And Jesus says, well, go see what, what we have. And they come back with five loaves and two fish. And the miracle begins. Jesus feeds over 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, I've been in a, a busy kitchen before. When I was in seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, I was a server at a, at a nice restaurant. And I remember with a full kitchen staff how busy the kitchen was just to feed the, uh, you know, 50 to 100 people that were in the restaurant at the time. Like how fast were Jesus's hands moving uh, that he could break that much bread? How did this miracle actually happen? It just gives us great wonder and amazement that he fed so many people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And we read this story and it just gives us great comfort that Jesus is our provider. 
that he can take the smallest of things to make the most more than we could ever imagine that whatever problem is too big for us we just got to bring all that we can bring whatever we can bring to Jesus and we know that he makes up the difference we know that he can multiply anything to meet the need anything for the problem that is too big for us because Jesus didn't just feed the 5,000. You know, each of the Gospels record how they were full. <laughs> like they, they, they weren't just like, this is a good snack. No, they, this was a great meal. And on top of that, Jesus made sure that he multiplied enough that each one of the disciples had a basket for themselves to take home, to take with them. But as we read the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John actually gives us more detail around this miracle, around this story, than the other Gospels do. It gives us more insight because John is, is helping us, the Gospel of John is helping us understand who Jesus is. And so these little details, they actually make a difference. Let's just start, let's just start reading together. So whatever Bible you have available, maybe it's an app on your phone. Perhaps you have a physical Bible, or maybe you just want to listen as I read. I'm just going to start in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, the fourth gospel, chapter 6. I'm going to start in verse 2. It says this, And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. And when Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples, the Jewish Passover festival was near. Now just pause. This is one of those details that John gives us. And we don't have time. We're not going to take time right now to really dig into that. But we actually provide a free resource called, we call it homework. But, but all it is is just further reflection, further scriptures, further questions to deepen your understanding of the scriptures so that as you, as you watch and as you listen, you can actually on your own time after the message, you can just go deeper and you can be even more prepared when you meet together as a group to, to talk about the scriptures. And so you can, best way to access this is go to doorcreek.info, which is our digital bulletin. Latest message, it's right there. You can also hit it up on our website though, under the growth. Uh, under the grow in the, in the navigation bar group resources. It's there as well. The homework will get you there. Uh, but it's an important, important piece of this story. But we're going to keep reading here in verse 5. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Er, wrong answer, Philip. We got to give him grace though, because he wasn't getting it. Jesus says, hey, how are we going to feed all these people? You know, and Philip's answer should have been, the Sunday school answer should have been, uh, uh, you're going to feed them, right, Jesus? <laughs> because it would take more than a half year's wages to buy bread for just everyone to have uh, just a bite. Jesus was testing him. There's something else about Jesus testing Philip here that we only get in the Gospel of John that we need to take note of. And that is this, that Jesus saw the crowd coming. Jesus saw the crowd coming and before they were even there, he knew the problem that they were going to face. Which brings us to our first point. 
today, and that is just this, that Jesus saw your crisis coming and he has a plan. Jesus saw your crisis coming and he has a plan. It's not a stretch of my imagination to assume that at some level, in some way, you're facing a crisis in your life. Whether it's related to the pandemic or not, you're facing a crisis in your life. And we just need to know as we look at John's gospel that Jesus saw your crisis coming and he has a plan. He has a plan. What's his plan? Well, his plan is great. It's five loaves and two fish. But, but, but the Gospel of John gives us even more detail that, that, that gives us a deeper understanding of what Jesus was doing here. We're going to read on. Uh, it said, another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. By the way, when you read all four Gospels and this story account, I believe that a majority of the story in the other Gospels happens between verses 7 and 8 in the book of John. If you're trying to Piece, piece these together. And it says this, here is a boy, verse nine, picking up, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And I love verse 10, because basically say, hey, how, how far is this gonna go with so many? And Jesus says this, have the people sit down. <laughs> Isn't that great? Have them sit down. The disciples are like, how is this gonna work? And Jesus says, just, just take a seat. Just watch what I can do here. The authority that I have over my creation to feed these people with this. But there's three details that John's giving us when he's talking about the five loaves and the two fish that are of great importance. And the three details are this. It's a boy, it's barley, and it's small. It's a boy, it's barley. By the way, we aren't just proud of the fact that we have a color TV. If you're following along in the message notes, it kind of gives an outline of the teaching today and the teaching each week. And so these kind of fill in the blanks among the outline. A boy, barley, and small. You see, Jesus is doing what he often does. And he is using the least of these to tackle the biggest problem. He's using the least to provide for the most. This isn't a baker. This isn't uh, some, some government leader in, from the town. This isn't someone with great wealth. It's not, it's not a man. It's not a woman or a mother. It's a boy. It's a child. It's the least of these. It's a child. It's not just any bread. You see, oftentimes when we see pictures about this miracle, we see like these five really beautiful loaves and these, these two abundant fish. No, it was small barley loaves and two small fish. Why is that important? Well, barley bread was like pauper's bread. It was poor man's bread. It was bread that you ate when there was nothing else to make bread with. If you walked into someone's house and you saw that they had barley bread, it instantly told you their economic status. And it wasn't even a large loaf of barley bread. It was a small five loaves of barley bread. It was the least of all bread. And we're so spoiled. We walk into these beautiful bakeries and I love a good bakery. But none of that kind of bread is what we're talking about. We're talking about the most undesirable of bread. That is the bread here. 
and the fish. Some scholars suggest that when it says two small fish, it's not even a healthy portion of fish. In fact, some scholars would suggest that it like barely makes a side dish. Jesus is using the least to provide for the most and it only gives us a greater understanding and it only gives us greater hope and greater comfort that Jesus is our provider. That Jesus is our provider, that he provides whatever we're giving to him. And some of us were like, man, I don't have a lot of talent. Doesn't matter. Give it to Jesus. He'll do amazing things with it. Man, I don't have a lot of money to give. It doesn't matter. Give it to Jesus. He'll do a lot with it. Man, I don't think I have a lot of time to give. You do, by the way. But I don't think I have a lot of time to give. Doesn't matter. Give it to Jesus. We can give whatever we bring to Jesus. He fills in the gaps. He's the one who multiplies it. He's the one who provides. But let us not miss too that he saw the crowd coming and he knew the problem and whatever crisis you're in right now that you want Jesus to provide for you, whatever situation you're in right now, you're looking to Jesus and you're saying, Jesus, I I need your help. I need you to provide here. Maybe some of you are in a place where you don't know where your next meal is coming from. You don't know how you're going to to provide, we just remember he is our provider and he saw your crisis coming and he has a plan. And we have to have hope and we have to have faith in that. He saw your crisis coming and he has a plan. So let's turn to the second miracle. Second miracle is just Jesus walking on water and what a great story. Let's just retell it. Some of you, maybe you're hearing this for the first time. For, for a lot of you, I'm sure you've heard this. Let's just have, let's just enjoy this wonderful story. Enjoy this miracle as we know it. Now, Jesus leaves after the feeding of the 5,000 and kind of goes to be by himself as he often does. The disciples are like, we're gonna get a head start. We're gonna go across the Sea of Galilee and we'll wait for him over there. And so as the disciples head across, a storm brews up and and uh, the topography of the area just is, is one that allows for instant chaos on that sea. And the disciples find themselves in the middle of the Sea of Galilee fighting a storm that is just horrendous. And note the time of day that's, that's mentioned in the Gospels that tell this story about uh, just alluding to the fact that they've been struggling in this storm for some time. They look up and they see what they think is a ghost and they start freaking out. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's, I'm not a ghost. It's me. It's me, guys. Take courage. It's me. Don't be afraid. And this is the great part of the story when Peter's like, Jesus, if it's you, let me get out of the boat. And Jesus is like, okay, come to me, Peter. And Peter gets out of the boat and he starts to sink and Jesus saves him. He says, oh, he of little faith. And Jesus gets in the boat. It's one of the best parts of the stories. It's the climax of the story as we know it. As soon as Jesus gets in the boat, what? The storm stops. And just as Jesus showed his authority over the bread and over the fish and over the problem that was too big for anyone else to tackle, Jesus shows his authority in even a greater way over creation itself in this this storm that was happening. He calms the storm. What a great story. What a great miracle. Did you know that John actually doesn't mention like almost any of that? Yeah, we're going to look at it in a second. John literally doesn't mention almost all those details that I just talked about 
and more. Check this out. You know the whole thing about the disciples thinking Jesus was a ghost? John doesn't talk about it. You know, like our favorite part of the story where Peter gets out of the boat and he says, Jesus, let me come to you. And Jesus is like, come on over, Peter. And he's sinking, you know, oh, ye of little faith. He doesn't mention Peter walking on water. John doesn't talk about that. You know what else John doesn't talk about? John doesn't talk about how Jesus calmed the storm. Like, John, that's like the whole point of the story. That Jesus calmed the storm. John's like, actually, it's not the whole point of the story. And it actually would distract from what we need to learn about Jesus. He doesn't talk about the calming of the storm. He doesn't talk about the disciples' revelation, the book of Mark, as it's recorded. That he, Jesus gets in the boat and the disciples worship Jesus. And they say, surely you are the son of God. And you'd think that in John's gospel, where it's all about understanding who Jesus is, that surely he would include the disciples' revelation. He doesn't. He also doesn't talk about how Jesus sees the storm, just like he saw the crowd coming. He doesn't say that. He doesn't mention uh, the, uh, how he intended to pass by them. This is in the book of Mark. Read it. He intended to pass by. He never really was looking to get in their boat. He just wanted to walk across the sea to get where he was going. Which, pause for a second. Like, have you ever wondered, like, how often did Jesus just, like, go, you know what? Everyone's in bed, so uh, I'm going to take a stroll on the lake. <laughs> he, had the, he had the ability to do that. Sorry, just I love thinking about the amazing things that must have happened that we just don't have record of, and I look forward to hearing about them someday. Uh, lastly, uh, he doesn't talk about how the disciples' hearts were hardened, again, found in the Gospel of Mark. Something happened at the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples weren't happy, their hearts were hardened, which makes the revelation of worshiping Jesus even more sweet. John doesn't mention that. Why doesn't John mention these details? Why does John tell the story of Jesus walking on water in a way that would completely uh, not give uh, credit or wonder to the story that we know, that we just retold ourselves? You know, if John's version was like a movie trailer, we would go watch the movie and be like, holy cow, the trailer like totally underplayed this movie. But, but there's a point as the Holy Spirit was guiding John to write this gospel. There's a point to why he stripped it away from so many details because he didn't want us to get distracted. He didn't want us to get distracted. So what, what are the details that we do know? We do know that the disciples were in a storm, that Jesus walked to them and that he said, do not be afraid. We're gonna pick up in verse 18. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. And when they rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. And then they were willing. <laughs> I love how he phrases this verse. No, verse 21 and then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. I don't know about you, but like that's a detail in this story that I, I either forgot or was told and forgot, whatever, but as I was preparing for this, just complete transparency, I was reading that verse going, wait, what? As soon as Jesus got in the boat, not only did the storm cease, but he like went Star Trek and beamed them from the middle of the lake right to port, just instantly, immediately. 
Like, let's start including that in the story as we're retelling it to our children and to each other. That's a really cool part of the story. But let's go back. Remember that in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus saw the crowd coming and he had a plan. He knew what he was going to do. Let's remember that. And, and we can take it to heart because whatever crisis we're facing right now, Jesus saw it coming and he has a plan. And we often talk about the walking on the water miracle about Jesus getting in the boat and the water ceasing. But there's actually something even more amazing that we need to take note of that John highlights before that happens. And it is the fact that Jesus saw them in their storm. Jesus saw them in the storm. Which helps us to our second point. Jesus sees you in your crisis. He not only saw your crisis coming and has a plan, he sees you in your crisis. And that's important to note. That's important to note because right now some of us are in a place that we did not ask for, that we do not want. You never wanted to enter this Christmas season without your loved one for the first time. And as the memories surface almost daily have to struggle with grief in a way that you never wanted to struggle with grief. Some of you never wanted to be homeschool parents. But because of this pandemic, you're having to be a mom or dad and, and teacher and playground uh, coordinator or assistant. And, you know, uh, you're having to play more roles and you just need a break. And you're just like, when is this going to be over? Some of you never intended to enter this Christmas season. Wondering if you're still going to have your job or wondering when you're going to get a job. But remember, Jesus saw our crisis. He has a plan and Jesus sees you in your crisis wherever you're at. Jesus sees you. And what does he say to the disciples before he gets in the boat? He says, it is I. Do not be afraid. And in the same way, he sees us in our crisis and he says, it is I. Do not be afraid. And we have this wonderful promise and we have this wonderful uh, truth that we can hold on to that Jesus does not have to calm your storm to calm your fear. Jesus does not have to calm your storm to calm your fear. We have to give way more credit to the disciples. Who knows how long they had been rowing, probably fearing for their life. And we need to give more grace to Peter. He wanted to get out of the boat. Why wouldn't he want to get out of the boat? There's got to be more than this. This isn't doing anything. Some of you, that's where you're at in life right now. There's got to be more than this because this isn't working. I've struggled and struggled. I'm working really hard. There's got to be something better. I just need to get out of the boat. And I'm telling you, stay in the boat. Jesus sees your crisis and he says, it is I, it's me. Do not fear it's me, guys. Do not fear. And as much as we want to credit Jesus with all the authority over creation to multiply bread and multiply fish, to heal the sick, to teach, and to calm the storm, we forget to give him credit that he can have authority in our life that we don't have to be afraid. 
And Jesus is getting this point across as we read through the Gospel of John that as much as Jesus is our provider, as much as he can provide for us, Jesus is more than a provider. He's not just our provider. He's your provision. Jesus is not just your provider. He's your provision. Jesus isn't just someone who provides for your needs. Jesus has provided himself for our greatest need. And we can forget to give him authority to that. And we forget this part of the story that before Jesus ever entered the boat, he's telling the disciples, hey, it's me, guys, don't be afraid. And just as we're in the crisis of life right now, he's saying, hey, it's me, don't be afraid. I have authority over all this. Let me have authority in your life. Because as much as he can provide for us, he is already our provision. His presence is enough. And that's what John is getting across here as Jesus is walking on the water to the disciples. His presence is enough. We can trust in him. We can lean on him. And it's hard work. It's not easy. It's easy to stay afraid. But it hurts a lot more. But the hard work of actually believing in God, actually believing in Christ the provider and our provision, we don't have to be afraid. John does one other thing as we just kind of close out the section of scripture that we're going to be looking at today. Uh, one of the threads that kind of helps hold John chapter six together is the thread of the crowd who's following the crowd, who's chasing Jesus. It starts out with that. It starts out with the crowd who's following Jesus because of his signs, because he's healing people, because he's providing for them. And after he's provided for them, John gives us a beautiful little detail at the end of the feeding of the 5,000 that they were like, hey, this guy's feeding us. This guy's healing us. We like what he's saying. Let's make him our king. Surely he's the prophet who was supposed to come. And Jesus knew that they were going to try to take him uh, to be king by force, John says in chapter 6. And Jesus, Jesus slipped away. And we know he slipped away because it wasn't his time yet. And also because they weren't quite getting it. They only wanted him because he was providing for them. Not because they really understood that he was their provision. That he provided himself for them. And we see here the last verse that we're going to look at. In verse 24. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in what? In search of Jesus. In search of Jesus. And I believe that when we are in a crisis in our life, we're searching for Jesus. We're searching for Jesus' answers. And oftentimes we know we know that he is the great provider. And so we keep asking him to provide as we should and as we can, but we forget to thank him and to ask him just to provide more of himself, that that he's our provision, that his presence is enough in our lives. That as we look for Jesus to provide for our needs, we forget that Jesus provided himself for our greatest need. The crowd is constantly searching for Jesus and we can find ourselves in the crowd constantly searching for Jesus. 
And it kind of leaves us on this cliffhanger here in verse 24, what happens next? And we're just going to continue on next week as we gain a greater understanding as Jesus starts to unpack this whole idea that, that he is enough. That he is enough. And so our encouragement, our encouragement this week and my challenge for us this week, for, for myself as much as for you, is to remember that whatever crisis we find ourselves in, let's take hope in the fact that Jesus saw it coming and Jesus has a plan. And as much as we're struggling in our crisis right now, as much as we feel like there's got to be something better than this, I don't want this anymore, Jesus sees us in our crisis and he utters words of hope, saying, it is I, don't be afraid. And we can cling to the promise and we can cling to the truth that Jesus is not just our provider, he is our provision. Let's pray together. So Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you provide for us in this way, that especially after celebrating Thanksgiving, hopefully we just took time to thank you for your provision. Father, help us to see how Christ is our provision and Christ has provided himself for us so that no matter what we're facing in life, whether we are hungry or whether we feel like we are on the edge of defeat, we can hold on to Christ's words. It is I do not be afraid. And so we thank you that you don't have to calm our storm to calm our fears. We thank you for the work Christ did on the cross and raising to new life so that we can have life in him. We can hold on to that truth and just help us to become more devoted followers of you as we continue to learn, as we continue to grow. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.